0: Hey there, Brilliant Mama. This week, we had a riveting conversation with Rachel Bailey, who is a parenting specialist and mom of two. We had the opportunity to pick her brain about some common and not so common issues we run into with our kids. We start off with a discussion about how to compassionately let kids feel their feelings. We get to chat about sibling rivalry, why it is normal, and how to help siblings feel valuable. We also chat about only children and how to help foster independent play. We asked Rachel which expectations we should drop and which to maintain while we deal with this global pandemic at hand. And I think you guys are really going to like what she has to say. As I was listening back to this episode, it occurs to me that it sounds like our oldest has ADHD. Not that it really matters, but he doesn't. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Mamosas Podcast. We are continuing to post what we are doing with the kids during this shelter in place and trying to be honest about how we are coping. Please take a moment to leave us a rating and review on iTunes. It helps listeners find us and honestly helps guests see the value in coming on to the show. Thank you all for your support and enjoy this week's chat with Rachel Bailey. Welcome to Mamosas. Hope you have your friends and your drinks nearby. You're here with Kristen and Talia and we're here to talk all things mom. This week we have Rachel Bailey. She's a parenting specialist and a mom of two girls and we are very excited to pick your brain this week Rachel.
1: I'm so happy to give you anything I can to help.
2: Yay! Well, we love to just start by diving right in and asking people about their birth stories. So what would you like to tell us about your births?
1: You know, my first one was was pretty tough. I had both a, a traditional and, a, and an emergency C-section for my first birth. And then my second was a planned C-section because I had this weird bone apparently in my body and the babies can't get around it. So they learned that during my first birth. Yeah, I don't know what it is or something was protruding and they they couldn't get my daughter out. So I had an emergency C and then um, and then a plan for the second.
2: So Wait, you doing? have like an extra bone
1: like in your groin area or where is it? I don't I didn't actually ask for details especially at the time. I was just like get her out, but that's what they told me there was something that preventing that prevented them from getting her out because I really didn't want a C section. I was like, you know, you know how first time birth saw. I don't want it, but Yeah. So it was it was interesting. I just I went through the whole experience. I had a complete, you know, traditional vaginal birth was trying anyway. And then just it didn't work.
2: I'm imagining if this were Kristen, like laying awake at night at two in the morning. Where's that bone (laughs) on herself? If, (laughs) If this had happened to Kristen, she'd be like, I want all the details. I want a sketch of it. I want to know where it is, why it's
0: there. Give me everything. Well, we have friends who have like the their pelvis is like a shape that the head doesn't fit through. But it's that
1: just, you're being so clinical. And that's probably what it was. Something like that. I never went back later and said, what's wrong? I never did. I don't know why.
0: Uh, well, and it doesn't really matter with the outcome.
1: Well. <laughs> I just know something about me is abnormal. I got the second one out. That's all that That's matters. all
2: that matters. I mean, that's as long as the baby comes out and they're healthy, you know, I had a C-section and I had imagined, you know, the perfect birth with, you know, unicorns licking my eyelashes while I'm, you know, like, lamazing into this, like, birthing goddess sort of thing. And, like, I had a C-section because my daughter decided to flip at 35 weeks and, <sighs> you know, was bleached. Uh, yeah. So C-sections are never... You're not like, yay, I've, right. I've never seen anybody that's like, I'm just gonna get a C-section, but it happens.
1: Yes. It happens, and you know what, it, it's, it all works out. So well, how old are your daughters? They how are seven are and almost 10, so my daughter's about to have a birthday while we're in this quarantine time. She'll have a birthday at home, and that's okay.
0: We'll get through it. We are in similar situation here. We're doing fifth birthday in quarantine.
1: Yeah, You know, it's gonna become something that we all talk about. Like, did you have a birthday in quarantine, and what did you do? So it'll be part of their school. My daughter just
2: missed the window. Like we, our last day of school was Friday and her birthday party was on Saturday. And my husband and I were like, should we still do it? And we had a couple people that canceled and we were like, okay, okay. Those people canceled. So it's just like a very small, intimate group with no touching. and
1: <laughs> Exactly we'll scrub it all down and yeah.
2: Exactly. Uh, but I think you're right. I think people are going to talk about what birthday you had under quarantine. Totally. Absolutely.
0: So tell us about your transition. Which was the hardest transition for you? Going from no kids to one or one kids to two?
1: It was definitely no kids to one. I actually, um, at the time when I got pregnant, wasn't we, it just happened. I mean, it was fine. We, it wasn't a bad thing, but I was actually working on my PhD and I wanted to become a neuropsychologist and have these plans. And, um, we didn't really expect me to get pregnant that quickly. So I, it sort of derailed my life a little bit in such a, I mean, now in such a great way, but that was hard because I had, I had a vision for myself in the next five years and that is not the way it went. So it was definitely harder.
0: Did you have to sort of grieve that like loss of your expected life?
1: In a way. Yeah, I did. I, I mean, I knew it was important to do that, but I also, you know, I'm grateful and I don't think I, I, I think I was grateful even early on. Cause I, once I was pregnant, I was pretty happy that I was, it just was so different than what I expected.
0: Sure. Did you struggle with any postpartum mood disorders like postpartum anxiety or anything like that?
1: A little bit. I mean, since I'm, my background's in clinical psychology, so I was like, well, I have to follow the DSM, you know, st- you know, r- requirements for what di- would I diagnose myself, but I definitely felt the fog. I definitely felt the, why am I doing this? What have I done? And that lasted a few weeks. I don't know if I I could have diagnosed myself, but yeah, I mean, I struggled for sure after both of my kids.
0: All right. So we want to pick your brain. Okay. And I feel like I should just warn you ahead of time that I have a very obsessive personality and I had postpartum anxiety and my anxiety like revolved very specifically around my children's brain development. Yeah. So just... So, when I'm being crazy, you know where it's coming from. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. I love it. So, I want to start off asking you about feelings, right? So, it's really important for our kids to learn how to feel their feelings. And I think as we're getting older, we're probably recognizing as adults, like, hey, we're not so great at that ourselves. Like, we've always sort of been taught, like, it's okay, get up, don't cry, you don't have to be sad, find the silver lining, da 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 da. In our home, we're really working on letting our kids feel their feelings, but sometimes it's hard to understand, like, again, I talk a lot, and I'm trying not to, like, talk at them so much when they're crying, but I also want them to know, hey, like, I'm here for you, let's feel this, you're safe. So could you walk us through maybe some compassionate ways to really let our kid feel those extreme feelings? Like if they're feeling really angry, how can we like compassionately have a space for them to feel that?
1: Yeah. So first of all, I love that question because this is basically what I specialize in as a parenting specialist is, um, I work with a lot of parents who have, um, kids with big emotions or quote unquote sensitive kids. I'm raising a sensitive child, big emotions. Um, about 80% of my clients are. And very honestly, the other part of my practice is talking about discipline. And part of the way I teach discipline is your kids are going to, you set boundaries and they get upset and you need to help them with their feelings. That's what discipline is. It's not about punishing necessarily. It's about setting them boundaries, letting them get upset and release all of the feelings that come when they hit a boundary. So I just had to say, I love that question. So I teach all day long, how do we help kids with their feelings? Now We can do things in the moment, and we can do things proactively. So I'm a big believer that the more we do proactively, the better. But I want to tell you what I suggest is a compassionate response in both cases. Um, In the moment, compassion is about making a child feel safe. And it's going to vary what that looks like from child to child. For some people, like I have two daughters. One of my daughters wants me to hug her and love on her. My other daughter, if I walk within five feet of her, will say the meanest, nastiest things. To me, and that's actually her coping mechanism. We could talk more about that if you want. But so you have to kind of think about what makes this child feel safe. And if you have multiple children, you have to think about what is it that makes that child feel safe. So that's really the biggest takeaway about in the moment and then not getting sucked in yourself. A lot of us get sucked in because we see emotions, like you said, it's bad and make it go away and make it stop.
2: Oh, my gosh. Well, then also when you have a kid, I mean, I have a student like that who gets upset and their first thing is to just, you know, shoot daggers at me. And it's hard as a person, especially as a mom or like or a teacher, like somebody who cares about this person. Genuinely, it's hard not to be affected by that.
1: Yeah. I mean, that hurts. Exactly. Because you're a human being. You're not a robot. It does hurt. But, well, and I don't want to say but. And what really tends to help, because I'm also a sensitive, reactive person, and I'm not great with feelings. I didn't learn how to deal with them. One of the things when we understand what that is, so I actually describe, I have a phrase that I use for discomfort, any uncomfortable feeling, whether it's anger or frustration or overwhelm, I call or any feeling, I call it yuck. And we have to understand that what human beings do when we're in yuck, the first and most common is we turn our yuck out on other people. So we're in Mm. yuck and it's almost like the brain tries to protect us by not taking any more on and we turn it out on other people. So when you realize, oh, that's their yuck, it's not actually, you know, they're not, they're struggling to cope right now. And when we realize that that's what it is and not that they're trying to attack me, it's a little bit easier when we understand yuck and how to handle it.
2: Totally. I mean, it took me a long time to figure that out with this one kiddo and like a coping mechanism for myself and for this person. Yes. To kind of be in the same space together. Yes, absolutely.
0: (laughs) Okay, so kids who hit, right, they're kind Mm -hmm. of past the toddler stage. And I saw you work a lot with kids that have ADHD and helping them with discipline right?
1: Mm -hmm. I I have a background as an ADHD coach. So I do have a lot of clients whose kids have ADHD.
0: Okay. And my understanding is that with ADHD comes a lot of disinhibition. It's much harder for them to hit that stop sign that says, Oh, I can't hit right now. Correct. So they don't
1: have great impulse control or emotional regulation.
0: And so what is something you can do if you have a kid who now you're hitting that six, seven range, they're still hitting, it's not really age typical anymore. Mm -hmm. How can you help them? How can you help them with that? They're still having big emotions, that's okay. But also hitting isn't okay. So how can you help them navigate that?
1: That's a great question. And that actually leads to what I was saying about the proactive piece. So what we do in the moment is really on us to support them, make them feel safe and regulated ourselves. When we have kids who are hitting and really, and, and, and putting their yuck out, which is not appropriate, we have to teach them proactively better coping skills. And we have to teach them not only um, what, how we have to teach them how to recognize their own yuck. And I actually teach parents to teach their kids to name their yuck, give it a specific name. And we're teaching kids that when you feel this feeling, like let's say a child names it like the angry alligators. When you feel the angry alligators, you have control over what you do next. And we teach them a coping mechanism for a child that's hitting, I have to be honest, I would never recommend like deep breathing or try to calm yourself down because they have too much energy inside. And so I always teach kids with a lot of energy to um, use their body to release that yuck. But not with hitting. We do it, there's I, there's so many strategies they can use. They can um, rip paper, they can draw really hard with a cram, they can do wall push-ups, they can, if kids are in school, I say press as hard as you can on the desk. Like make that desk go to the classroom below you as hard as you can. So we teach them to sense their, their yuck name their yuck and then do a new behavior but this is the most important and i I will stop after this but this is the most important piece we must 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 practice in between times of yuck because Mm -hmm. once a brain goes into fight or flight which is really what yuck is our brain is sensed a threat we're in fight or flight once we're in yuck we default to what has the strongest neural connection which is basically the biggest muscle memory so if your child has hit because they're six or seven like you know 70 80 times and you teach them this new strategy like 10 times, which seems like a lot, it's still the other the other strategy is more natural to them and it's more their instinct. So we need to actually practice. So it's a quick summary of what we do proactively for kids who are not handling their yuck in a healthy way.
0: Okay. So here's that's great. What I struggle with, because I have read this and I love it. I've never heard the naming. This is so fun. I can't wait yeah, to do that. Yeah, that's my name. <laughs> I, I can't wait to do that. That sounds really fun. Where are you introducing this? Like Okay, so we want to be out of the moment. And I feel like with my kids, I'll say, okay, yay, let's do a fun new game. We're learning coping mechanisms. And they're like, fart off, mom. Like, I'm not interested in this at all. So what are some techniques that parents can use when they're like, okay, I've learned this new skill and I'm going to teach my kids. And then their kids are like, absolutely no, thank you.
1: I will give you two that will help in that situation. Number one is tell them that you are working on your coping skills and have them be your coach versus you be their coach. Kids love to tell us what to do, and they love to remind us that we should be practicing. So if you <laughs> actually say, hey, either either have them coach you or the other thing, and this is not my second tip, this goes with the first one, is do it as a family so that one child is not singled out, but do it as a family and then practice it as a family at the dinner table or whatever you know, wherever, whatever time you're all together. So either have them coach you or do it all as a family. The other tip I have when you have resistant kids, because that's basically what I work with as parents of resistant kids, is if they will do nothing, have them overhear you practicing. That's better than nothing. If they overhear you, that actually can help their brain start to recognize this pattern that we're trying to teach them.
0: And does that look like like I'm in the other room with my husband role-playing and they're like, oh, what's mom and dad doing up in there? Or it's more like when I'm in the moment and I'm remembering – This is not an emergency and I'm saying it out loud, take a breath, this is not an emergency.
1: All of the above. So I actually teach parents lots of different ways to practice. So it could be that you're role playing with your husband. It could be that you're doing it in the moment. It could be that you're watching a TV show and you're like, hey, I don't like how they handled their yuck, I think they could have done this. Or asking your child, what do you think they could have done? It could be you talking about a friend and saying, hey, my friend has a son who's struggling. I'm not sure what to tell her what to do. What do you think? So there are lots of ways to incorporate this into life that aren't in the moment. And each of those things strengthens that neural connection.
0: That makes a lot of sense. Okay. So I'm going to bring us to a topic that I know everyone cares about sibling rivalry. Yes. So we have been working really hard to keep sibling rivalry as like, not, not a thing. It's obviously going to be there, but just like kind of downplaying it. Um, But our oldest does have disinhibition. So it's very hard. He doesn't have a stop sign. So how can we support the younger kid in that situation? You know, like, okay, we recognize that the older kid really has no control over it. He's not trying to be mean. He's not trying to be harmful, but, but you know, the younger kid is really in a state of high alert yes. all the time. So what yeah. are some ways to support that younger child?
1: I'm so glad you asked that because whenever I work with the parent, most parents come to me when they're worried about the sort of quote unquote high maintenance child Mm -hmm. and they're not thinking about the other child. And I always say you have to think about the other child too. So I'm so glad you asked that question. So a couple of things I have this situation in my family where my older daughter tends to be the meaner one. And um, so, so we, you do need to support the other one, a couple of action steps you can take. Number one, have a set time, where you ask your younger one what it's like to be is your younger daughter a boy or a girl
0: boy and he's only two i mean he's okay. almost three so he's very young so it's still hard to explain like hey like he literally doesn't have control over this we're so sorry
1: i would actually do the opposite though i wouldn't explain to your almost three-year-old what his brother's doing yet i would start with what's it like for you almost 3 year old so I would actually say, if he's verbal or if he's not, you need. I want you to talk this through. I would actually give him a chance to talk about what it's like. So you know, the more verbal he's going to do it on his own. But you could say things like, "What was it like when your brother, um, you know, yelled in your face today?" And if he can't explain it yet, I would actually start to give him words because when he is more verbal, you want him to have the language. So you can say, "Did it scare you? Was it, you know, were, were those big? Did you have big emotions?" And actually start in his world rather than trying to explain to him why his brother can't help it. We always want to connect with kids first before we explain things to them and get into their
0: world first. Totally, that makes sense. yeah, it definitely does.
1: And I recommend with anyone with siblings in this situation to have um, each of them have a, a moment every day where they can say, what's it like to be so-and-so's brother or sister right now? And let them vent. And don't change their mind. Don't say things. And I don't think I can tell you would never do this, but some parents do. Don't say, oh, but that's your brother. You should love him. Or don't justify. Just let them release it. And at the end, you can say, you know what? Thanks for telling me. I can't wait to hear more tomorrow. That's it. Let them release it. Is
2: this is this something that, like, when they're having this conversation, it's just between the two of you? It's not like you're, the sibling isn't listening to Correct. this yeah. You don't want it to be like bashing like, oh.
1: Well, Correct. Yes. You're, not you that, you're, not, you're alone <laughs> and you're also not agreeing. You're not like taking sides and you're just listening. And, and hopefully that takes pressure off of the parent too. Like, what do I say? Because one of the things I do a lot too is give parents phrases because everyone wants to know what to say. In this situation, there's no phrase. There's just a listen. There's just a thank you for telling me at the very end. That's it.
0: Yeah. I definitely am always like, can I get a script for this exact yeah. situation? So I have a
1: parenting academy and I give I give scripts. And that's everyone's favorite part. I do scripts and phrase, I say this, say this, not that phrases. And that's what everyone
0: loves. Yeah. So can you talk a little bit more about sibling rivalry and why it's sort of normal and, and okay to an extent?
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So I will say why it's okay. And then I'm going to say what causes it. And how we reduce it a little bit. So the reason it's actually okay is because kids actually do learn conflict resolution. They learn how to work through things. They, learn, they do learn a lot from interactions with siblings. So I always say to parents, once you've given them the tools, you actually want to back away. The problem is we don't give kids tools first, and then we back away, and that's when things don't go well. So what are the tools we want to give them? That's the question, and that's really, I want to tell you what causes sibling rivalry, and that's then then that's where we know what tools to give them. So there are three main things that cause sibling rivalry. First is that kids are, or cause sibling fighting anyway. First is an understimulated child will almost always annoy their brother or sister. So understimulation is a huge reason, especially with kids with ADHD. Their brains need constant stimulation. And if they're not getting it, they will create it. And although I am a big believer that we need to quote unquote, let kids be bored. I mean, I absolutely believe that. Kids' first instinct when they're bored is not, oh, I'm going to go find a creative new project. And what they do is they're like, oh, my brother or sister is right there. If I hit them, they'll scream and there's the stimulation. So that's the first reason for sibling fighting. Second reason is because they actually don't yet know how to resolve conflict. So we actually have to give them the tools. And one of the ways that we can do that, and I can give you examples in a minute if you want them, but we teach them to solve problems outside of the moment. When you teach kids, and this can be so fun, teaching problem-solving skills. I can't tell you the number of emails I get from parents saying their kids fight less because they do these problem-solving skills on a regular basis for fun. So we have, they're under They are, um, they, they don't know how to resolve it. And the third is that yuck component. A child feels yuck and they often take it out on their sibling. So maybe they feel um, either, it could be like they're jealous of their sibling or it could just be that they're feeling bad about themselves and they're taking it out on their sibling. So specifically, the yuck, when you have a lot of competition, the yuck is caused by not feeling unique enough or feeling like I don't matter as an individual. So I see this a lot with parents of multiples or parents of kids who are close together. So what we want to do is spend a lot of time with kids if they're competing a lot, making them feel individual and unique. So it was a long answer. I can go into any of that more, but I want to tell you the
0: three main areas. I'm curious about the individual and unique aspect of it. Like, because my kids are close in age and this doesn't have to be a a therapy session just for me. So Talia, feel free to jump in whenever you want.
2: I mean, I have an own, I'm, I have one, so, but it is very interesting. Well, and there's
0: a lot to be asked about only children too. Uh, So I'll let you take over soon. So the unique, the unique part is, uh, Because we've, again, trying not to foster a house of competition, also just by nature, I am very competitive, as is my husband. So I think by nature, our kids are probably just a little bit competitive anyway. How do we foster that uniqueness?
1: So you can do this again proactively or in the moment. Proactively is really about, first of all, most commonly, having individual time with them. Most parents know about that already. But there are also ways that you can do this. Just having a unique ritual with each of them. Maybe it's a secret handshake, or a you know one of your children likes to hear their birth story, or just something that you have between them that they has nothing to do with their sibling and something you do on a regular basis. Um, really fostering what they bring to the table. You know, it, asking them their opinion about something. If you have a child who likes to build Legos, just say, Hey, I have to build this. Um, this drawer, can you help me? Because I know you like to build Legos, like seeing them as individuals. And the more you have, I call these deposits, the more you do these deposits proactively, then when they do inevitably compare and compete, which they do, they actually don't go into yuck. They're like, hey, I feel good about myself. Because jealousy and competition only happens when we're not feeling good about ourselves. When we're feeling full, we're not jealous of other people. So if you make these deposits proactively, that's, that's the key. The other thing is in the moment is um, really stressing, like let's say they're fighting over a cookie. When they're fighting over a cookie, it's not actually about the cookie. It's that they want to feel like they're getting what they need and their brother or sister isn't more important. So if they say, I want, um, you gave him a bigger cookie, I would look at them, at, look at him and say, are you telling me you want another cookie? Because I want to make sure to give you what you want. And if they say, well, I want more than my brother has, I would say something like, well, what would you do if your brother weren't here? here? How much would you want? Because I'm always going to make sure you get what you need, regardless of what's going on with your brother.
0: I love that. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. Because that's something we're running into is like everything the same. I need the same. And, you know, we're trying not to lecture too much, but we do. And we're very like, same doesn't mean fair. And he's like, I'm for I don't care what you're saying right now.
1: That's the thing. And so if we go back to before, we have to connect first before we teach these lessons to like, if we say, you know what, it is hard when you, you want the same size as your brother, because you love that cookie. And it's so good. You always want to start there. Because if we don't do that, they tune out our lessons. They're so focused on no one gets me that they tend to tune out the lessons.
0: I mean, I do the same thing. I'll like hear my husband going into lecture and I'm like, I am checked out. Or I'll do it to myself. I'll start lecturing and I'm like, what am I even saying right now? I'm not even Mm -hmm. listening.
1: Totally. Exactly.
0: (laughs) Okay, so let's do some only child brain picking real quick here. Go for it.
2: Okay, so my daughter is a fresh five. Uh She just turned five. And uh, there's two things that I wanted to really pick your brain about. One is, so she is at home with my husband normally, Mm -hmm. on a normal day, and I'm at work. And... She So now we're both at home, which she's like on cloud nine about. Okay. She's just so excited to have everyone. But she does not play solo. Yes. Like she she has a really hard time. She's really good at initiating play. She's very creative, very imaginative, will create these elaborate plots and stories. But like we were trying to clean the other day and she like you know, needed somebody with her, you know, will you come and be with me? Will you sit with me? And she also like has like issues with like strength. So it's like, you know, she'll want to color, which I'm like, great, coloring, solo activity, but she can't like open the markers or she'll like be like, "Eh, eh, can you help me? And it's like, you're upstairs, like, okay, I'm coming. And then it's like, and it's just like, how do I like, I'm struggling with how to get her to kind of just be okay with playing by herself.
1: Yes. So a couple of things. Um, first of all, if you are always giving in to her when she wants to play with you, she's gonna she's gonna need to learn how to not have you around. So if she Mm -hmm. says come be with me and you come, she she, then she's gonna keep asking over and over.
2: What's that? (laughs) I said I know we're the worst
1: about that. Come be with me, okay. Yeah, you know what, But it's sweet and you know it's not gonna last forever. So of course you're gonna say, okay. But ultimately, but you you're right. Time, yeah. If you want some time yourself, which I highly recommend, um, you just want to increase the amount of time that she that you do put in between the "come play with me" and "okay." Just even say, "I'll be there after I finish cleaning the dishes." I mm-hmm. wouldn't at Fresh Five necessarily say in two or three minutes because she doesn't really know what that means, or she can't. She may feel it, but um, just use a task is going to be easier for her. So if she sees you're washing dishes, say. As soon as I'm done with the dishes, I'll be over. That's actually easier for her to compute than I'll be over in two minutes or something like that. So just Mm -hmm. extend the amount of time. And this goes back to letting kids feel feelings. Let her let help her through that discomfort. So you can say, you know what? Is it uncomfortable to wait for me? What do you want to do while you're waiting? What would help you through the time while you're waiting? So you're increasing the amount of time, but you're also giving her tools. To handle it while she's waiting, which I'm sure she doesn't have right now. So you don't even have to okay. feel bad because you're letting her practice those tools. Another really great hack I want to give you is, um, if you do have, uh, if you can have some predictable time with her, I would call this time like by her name and I would try to make it, it doesn't have to be every day, but even once a week, like Sundays, at, I, we do this with our kids Sunday afternoon. So, you know, Sundays at four o'clock one of the things you can do when you can't give her attention at that moment is you can say, hey, I really want to talk to you about so-and-so, but I don't have time this moment. Can we write it down and talk about it in our special time? And then at your special okay. time, you bring out that list of everything that you didn't get to talk about. And most of the time, they don't even want to talk about it anymore. But you're showing them that you care. When, you, when your kids have that predictable time, they're less clingy because they know it's coming. So that's another hack okay. for only children is, or any, actually any, not just only children, any child is that when you give them that predictable time, they will be able to be by themselves longer because they know they're getting you at a certain time. So those are my two okay. tips off the top of my head.
2: Great. So then on that note, so she does love to play with, but she'll play with specific people. So my in-laws are very present in her life. Poppy and Mimi. She is obsessed with my father in law. They're like BFFs. My mother in law, she's like, go outside, go down the block, farther, farther, <laughs> oh, farther, no. around the corner, farther. Okay, that's far enough. I mean, it's like she's just like, like my mother in law will come and just like sit by her and she's like, oh, thank you. Like, I mean, like, peasant, you know? So, and I know it hurts her feelings. Like, I know it hurts my mother-in-law's feelings. And she'll do that sometimes with my husband, too. Yeah. So, like, again, it's like, I don't want to, it's this weird situation because she's allowed to, you know, play with, you know, I tell my students all the time, you don't have to be everybody's friend. You don't have to play with everyone, but we're kind, Mm -hmm. you know, like, the idea is to be kind, but you don't have to be best friends with everybody. Mm -hmm. But, like I said, she's a fresh five. And it's like, I, I'm kind of in this weird sort of situation of how do I handle
1: that? Yeah, absolutely. This is going to apply to so many kids because they're two, one of two things is going on. Either it's something about your mother-in-law or it's something about them or kids go through phases, honestly, where they like someone and they don't like someone. So it happens with almost every child. So here's what I would say um, to have the conversation with her, going back to what I was saying before, always connect first, say Mm -hmm. to her, you know, what is it like for you when, wh- whatever she calls grandma, whatever she calls her, what's mm-hmm. it like for, for you when she's there? And, you know, let her talk about her own perspective before jumping into, well, you have to be nice to everybody. As soon as we mm-hmm. jump in, we were saying this before, as soon as we jump into a lecture, they if they don't feel safe, they don't listen to us. Mm-hmm. So what I would do is just hear her perspective and then say, um, you know, I have some thoughts about how she might feel when you, know, you want her to go away, what do you think about that? Do you think she might have feelings when you want her to go away? Now, if she says, no, I don't think she cares, chances are your daughter doesn't feel heard enough, doesn't feel like doesn't feel connected enough. If you've done mm-hmm. a good job really hearing her perspective, that's when empathy t- tends to come out more. Kids don't have as much empathy when they don't feel heard first.
2: Okay. And,
1: um, that's what I would do is just say, what do you, how do you think this makes her feel? And then you can, you know, come up with some solutions. What do you think you can do to make her feel better instead of telling her what she should do?
2: Okay. Okay. I mean, it's totally like I've watched this relationship evolve and it's so you know, my mother-in-law kind of like will come in and then my daughter will give her the cold shoulder and then she'll go off and like, you know, fold laundry or do dishes or do whatever around the house. And it's like, oh, she, phew, she's gone. So, I mean, it's definitely been this like thing that has been like playing in and building up. And now that she's five and it's like, we're kind of, you know, trying to address it. It's like this, 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 Base has been built so strongly.
1: Yeah, although there are things your mother in law could do actually to start to repair that relationship. There are things she could do, but she would have to want to. She would have to make a little bit of effort. It will probably come more from her than your daughter you know, saying all of a sudden
0: I want to be with her. Makes sense. There was this
2: great moment a couple of months ago where my father-in-law and my husband were out doing something and I was at work and I came home from work and the two of them were, my daughter and my mother-in-law were were coloring together. And I came in and I saw that they were doing that and I just, you know, oh, I'm going to go change. And I went upstairs and I basically like hid out for like 45 minutes. Because I wanted them to have that connecting Uh, time. You know, and she'll do that. My daughter will do that with my mother-in-law when, like, there's nobody else around, mm-hmm. you know. And every now and again, she'll include her. She's getting a little bit better about it. But, I mean, but my father-in-law plays into it, too. I mean, it's just like, come on, Poppy, let's go. Okay, we're going. Yeah, And then they yeah. leave together. And it's like, you know, she tries to do that with me and my husband. And I'll say, well, you know, we're going to bring Dad, too. Yeah. Okay, fine. Yeah, exactly. And I'll say, because to- I want yeah, because yeah, I say, I want daddy to be with us. You know, I want to spend time with him Yeah, and you.
0: Absolutely. So. And it's
1: a dynamic that could be addressed if, the, if everyone wanted to, for sure.
0: OK, I want to switch gears over to the global pandemic that we're in the midst of right now, because yes. I'm guessing you are working your tail off to help people uh, manage this.
1: Yes, I feel grateful to be able to though, So I'm happy to do it.
0: And I don't want to get like too far in the weeds here. um, But I, you know, we're in this global pandemic, people are now, you know, they used to maybe work, and their kids were in childcare or in school. And, you know, everything was sort of separation of church and state. And now everything's happening at home, and everyone's stuck in their house. So it's really hard for, you know, like we live in a house that's fine size, but we have like a postage stamp yard. And we're we're close to it, like all our houses are close to each other. So it's hard getting out, getting that energy out. I'm wondering if there's kind of, if you're, if you're recognizing an area where like maybe parents need to lower their expectations on this area a little bit. But here are some areas where we still should manage our ex, or we still should have high expectations. Like it shouldn't just be total anarchy in the house.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think what I find totally interesting and maybe scary is that we did have all of these other pressures placed on us because now you have to work from home and homeschool and this and that. Um, And what I saw with parents, which is partly why I'm working so much because I want this to stop is that as parents, we just, raise the expectations of ourselves all we did was we said yep, yeah, i'm going to step up and do it all instead of when we had a new situation arise in our lives instead of changing our expectations we raised our expectations of ourselves which i'm like no 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 we actually have to shift them and if your kids are home now you're not going to be able to get as much done or you're going to have to put firmer boundaries on your kids like you can't you can't add more variables and just expect everything to run smoothly you do have to change your expectations and I keep saying this over and over, and I hope people are hearing me. Changing your expectations doesn't mean lowering them. It means making them more realistic. So your kids are probably going to watch more TV right now or be in front of screens more. Your kids are probably going to be you know, doing things that maybe you wouldn't have let them do before. Maybe they're snacking a little bit more. Maybe they're, We have to give ourselves a break. We absolutely have to in a lot of areas. Screen time, I think, is one of them. Um, you know, a lot of people just need to get stuff done and it's okay if our kids are in front of screens. What I'm actually suggesting to parents right now is instead of saying before, we might have said, you can be on screens for two hours a day. Instead, what I'm having them do is say, make sure that you're having a very clear non-screen time. So for at least three hours of the day, no one is on screens and you're spending time together as a family. But the other ones don't worry about it so much. Just focus now on the non-screen time and what are you doing during that time? So again, that's an expectation shift. And really it's still teaching kids that screen we're not going to be on screens all the time. We need to be able to do other things in our lives, but you can be on it a little bit more right now. And when things go back to normal, we'll revisit that. So that's just one example of what I mean by changing our expectations.
0: Yeah, that totally makes sense. Okay. So we're, we're sort of changing our expectations. That really makes sense. Can you talk a little bit about parenting? We're, a lot of us are probably parenting a bit from a place of fear right now. We're kind of like, what in the world is going on here? And, you know, I I am, again, I said this earlier, a very anxious person and I do not want that for my kids. Like, biologically, they're going to be prone to it, but I don't want to be putting my anxieties on them. So I try really hard not to be doing a ton of like, stay away from that dog, it might bite you, or like things that are like my own anxieties. What are some ways that, parenting from fear and sort of stopping your kids from exploring, you know, don't climb on that couch, you'll break your neck. What are some of the downsides to doing that vice letting them just fall and figure it out if it's not a huge safety risk? So
1: I think what you're asking is the upside to actually letting if it's not a huge safety risk, the upside to having them fall and make mistakes and mess up is tremendous. It is actually a a, an anxiety reducer to allow our kids to experience mistakes and discomfort they need to if we don't want them to be anxious a lot of the overprotecting we're doing from our our, of our kids these days is actually increasing the anxiety and I, i can tell you i speak in schools all year long and usually within the first two or three months of schools i'm asked to come already to speak about kids with anxiety and there's so much of it because to your point earlier i think you said this in the very beginning we didn't learn how to handle our feelings So when our kids have a feeling like I messed up or I'm disappointed or I'm frustrated, we go in and we save them. And then we're gonna perpetuate this whole culture of they're not gonna know how to handle their feeling. So to answer very succinctly, let kids mess up, let them metaphorically fall, let them experience discomfort, they have to be able. So I think that answered your question, right?
0: Yeah, and I'm curious if you could speak to this at all. So we sort of live in a culture now that's like very school focused, which is fine. I think school obviously, makes a lot of sense. Um, But not everybody can be an A student. So how can we help our kids who are who are just the C student or who don't care to be more than the C student? How can we help support them in still growing to be great people who don't care about having an A? So
1: very simply, um, we need to figure out what, I believe wholeheartedly with every ounce of my being that every child has a certain type of intelligence and a certain thing that they're good at that they bring to this world. I think everybody does. And I think it's a shame that school is the measure we use to on every single child because when we use these tradition and and I know you're a teacher right so I don't want to like in any way No, I'm
2: I agree with you. Yeah. I think standardized tests and basing everything on their academics I think yeah. is foolish because it's not the whole child. It's just a very I mean small slim portion slim actually.
1: Tests. It's a slim part of who they are. And I think as parents we have a unique and important opportunity to help our kids figure out who do they are and what who they are and what do you have to contribute to this world and help them um, you know, recognize it and also believe enough in themselves. And one of the things that we can do to get our kids to believe in themselves very right, honestly is think about how we talk to them on a regular basis, how we treat them, not only when we agree with them but when we don't agree with them. Because I find the kids who have the, the healthiest self-esteem as they grow up, number one, know what unique contribution they have to make to the world and number two, believe that they are worthy of spreading that to the world. And that comes a lot, again, by how do we treat them? Do they believe they're worthy of respect? Because when we treat them like they're worthy of respect, even when they're doing things we don't like, they start to believe I am enough and I do need to contribute to this world in the way that I'm meant to do it.
0: Okay, so can you expand on the disagreeing? So, okay, our kids are doing something we disagree with and we want to support them still and make them make sure they still feel loved just because we disagree. How can we do that? So it actually
1: goes back to something I've said a few times now, whenever we're disciplining, we are connecting, correcting, and helping them handle their feelings. So let's say, let's go back to siblings. One child yells at their brother, instead of saying, we don't do that. You can't yell. We say, you know what? I bet you yelled because your brother got too close to your toys and you didn't know how to handle it. So that's a connection. Then we say in this house, we don't yell. So let's figure out another way to handle that so that your feelings can be heard too. Now, I will say, this is a big part of discipline. Just you saying, let's figure out another way is not all of a sudden going to make your child say, okay, what happens is they're still in this place of yuck. And you say, hating is not okay. We need to do something different. That's going to make them upset. That's what you want. Because then when they're upset, they're going to release all those feelings and you let them release all their feelings without getting sucked in. That's what discipline is. It's connecting and saying, you did this because... So they start to understand you're on their side. You get firm with them and say, we don't hit. We need to find another way. They don't like that. They get upset and they're allowed to release that upset in a healthy way while you're supporting them. That is ideal discipline in a way that improves kids' self-esteem.
0: So you're not engaging in the back and forth. I hit because blah, blah, blah. No, I... I hit because this and this, I get to hit because I was so mad. You just, I hear you're mad. We don't hit.
1: You're mad. We don't hit. And you can even make your firm, your voice firm in that point, because you actually ultimately want them to release their yuck. So this is going to be with, it's not going to be just sibling issues, but let's say they didn't put their shoes on when you asked, or they're not brushing their teeth. Um, First of all, there's a whole other piece I didn't talk about, which we need to teach our kids the tools to do those things because they're missing a lot of tools. But once they have the tools, you say, it is time to brush your teeth. It is time to put your shoes on. You get firm. Your voice gets firm. They don't like that. They get upset and you let them release that upset. You let them be upset and you support them in their feelings by basically not saying very much. What happens with yuck is they actually, yuck, follows like this rainbow shaped curve. They're going to get more and more upset. They're going to reach a peak and they're going to come down. And when they come down, that's when they're actually going to do what they're supposed to do. But you have to let them release that yuck to begin with. That is discipline that is both firm and respectful. And that's really
0: the model that I teach. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. I love it. So can you tell our listeners where they can find you, what your websites are, what your resources are?
1: Yes, absolutely. So um, I actually have a resource that talks more about this behavior piece. Um, It's on my website. So, My website is rachel-bailey.com. And then I have something on my website called rachel-bailey.com forward slash responsible behavior. And that talks a little bit more about what I just mentioned, how to give kids tools, how to um, help them release their yuck. But then I also have a podcast, which is your parenting long game. And I talk about this all the time, all of this. <laughs> and then I'm on Facebook and, and Instagram, both as I think Rachel Bailey parenting. Nice.
0: All right, so before we wrap up, we always love to ask one kind of final question. Mm -hmm. Okay. What media are you currently consuming? We
2: always love to know, you know, TV shows, podcasts, magazines.
1: Ah. I I heard some emphasis on magazines there. Is this something I should... (laughs) Oh, it's just Tomorrow? a joke. One,
2: one time I asked somebody and I was like, books, podcasts, movies, magazines. And Kristen goes, magazines? Who's reading magazines? I was like, I don't know. Some people still read magazines. Probably. So now I Especially always like waiting rooms or
1: something like that. Um, yeah. Who doesn't love good highlights? Goofus and Gallon. Oh, my gosh. I use Goofus and Gallon all the time, actually, in, in what I do with parents. So what am I consuming? I am consuming. I'm trying to get some really positive podcasts right now. So Brene Brown is, Whoa. I love her. Do do both know, hopefully, Brene Brown. She just um, If not, she's life-changing. Everyone should, should really get to know her. She just put out a podcast, so I'm listening to her. I also love Brooke Castillo, is another podcast that I absolutely love. She talks a lot about emotions and, and managing our mind, which I think during this time we need to do. And then uh, books I can't read because I fall asleep. So I, if anything, I listen to audiobooks. And then just watching, I don't know. I mean, my husband and I actually... Every night we stop whatever we're doing at 9 and we spend the rest of the evening together and we just watch whatever. We have some comedies, we have some, I'm trying to even think what we're watching. Right. We're Tiger actually, King. What we're watching. What's that? I was like, are you
2: watching Tiger King? <laughs> no,
1: should we be watching Tiger King? Oh
2: my gosh. If you want to watch a good train wreck. Huh. I, I well, can't. want to watch a good train wreck. I can't express enough. I, I just got Kristen hooked on it last night because I'm watching it and I'm going, I can't believe these people exist in the world. I it's mean, reality TV. Uh, it's a hard documentary. to tell. It's well, it's a, it's a documentary about a guy. Uh, it's actually three people, but it's about like this whole like people that own and breed tigers for their own personal exotic zoos. But wow. then there's this whole like mafia like like intrigue like behind it, and the characters are you know super crazy. It's just over the top, so it's
1: definitely worth a watch. Well, guess what I'm watching tonight? Yes. King. That's, you just converted I mean, me too. That sounds awesome. It's
0: the train wreck yeah. that you didn't know you needed in your life.
1: I love Basically. it. I love it. So we were just watching another train wreck on netflix love is blind have you guys seen that Love is blind yes yes we've been watching the past two or three nights yeah
2: if you enjoyed watching the train wreck that is love is blind then you will
1: like tiger king i'm in i'm in that's what we're gonna do yes so i hope i answered that question well enough
0: yeah that was great okay so thank you guys for listening and rachel thank you so much for joining us today
1: well thanks for having me here i appreciate it
0: bye bye